point start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. Uh, and Father, we are uh, a week into Lent now. Missed you last week on Ash Wednesday. It was a, a, a bit of a momentous week, and not just because of the beginning of Lent, right? Uh, yeah, some, uh, some big news in the Catholic world with the uh, uh, announcement of the resignation of Pope Benedict. Yeah, so we're going to get into that again today, but I want to begin by once again... Um, Encouraging people to email me if you have any questions about the any, any podcasts that you've listened to, have questions about, any comments, any ideas for future topics. And you can reach me at cbergwald at sfcatholic.org, c-b-u-r-g-w-a-l-d at sfcatholic.org. So, uh, Father... Um, Last week with, with, with Renee, I talked a little bit about my initial reaction to the news that Holy Father, that, that, that Pope Benedict was resigning. How did you, if you just briefly to begin, um, how did you, fi- not necessarily find out, but how did you respond when you, when you heard the news? Uh, shock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I really did not expect that to be coming at all. And so, uh, you know, I went to bed uh, Sunday night, and I thought I knew what the world was, and I woke up on Monday morning, and the world had changed. Yes, it had. And and so uh, it's just a week. We're recording this on, on Wednesday, and a week from tomorrow, 1 p.m. Central Time, yeah. this, the seat of Rome, the chair of Peter, will be empty. So, so anyway, um, Father, what... Father and I had talked that, that maybe a, a good follow-up to this last week's sort of Q&A discussion about why the resignation, what happens now, um, the prophecy of St. Malachi and so on. might just be good to step back in a sense and, and talk a little bit about the papacy in general. Why, why do we even have a pope? Uh, so, Father, I, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, oftentimes, you know, it's Catholics who, who are curious. I mean, they... they perhaps accept, or oftentimes do accept, the authority of the Holy Father, the Bishop of Rome. But sometimes they wonder, you know, why, why do we have him, why do we have this role, this, this, this office within the Catholic Church? And obviously other Christians um, wonder that, or, or frankly challenge the idea of, of at least the, the extent of the authority of the Bishop of Rome. Certainly a number of the, the Eastern, uh, Eastern Orthodox Eastern Christians accept the the idea that there are there is an episcopacy that there is a bishop of Rome. They don't typically accept the idea that he has universal authority and jurisdiction throughout the church. So so we thought it'd be good to talk about this question: Why is there a papacy to begin with, uh, Father? And I thought you know, in honor of your participation, even though as a systematic theologian, I really don't care for the Bible, that maybe we could start with with this particular book, if that's okay with you. Well, it certainly is, because I think it gets right to the heart of my favorite answer, uh, and it's it's a new favorite answer. But uh, when people ask, you know, why do you Catholics do these things, or this or that, or whatever it is, have a have a pope. Um, my new favorite answer is because Jesus tells us to. Yes, yes, <laughs> and this, and sometimes, to be honest, sometimes it takes a little bit, a little bit of ground laying to, you know. Sometimes you can't point to 
you know, an explicit passage in Scripture where it, where Jesus clearly tells us to. But in this case, you can point to not just one, but several, right? Exactly, exactly. And that's what we'll go through and, and, and do, dear listeners, is to go through some of those ones. And um, and, and because they're, they're beautiful passages that have a richness, not just uh, for this kind of apologetic proof of why have a Pope, but they're also just some rich ones to pray on yourself and your own relationship with our Lord, uh, Jesus Christ. You know, I'm really glad you said that, Father. It's important. Um, I just recently actually gave a, an address to a group of high school teachers in a, um, the Archdiocese of St. Paul on apologetics. And uh, I didn't get into the, the, the nuts and bolts of this with them, but one of the, the things that, that, that people who know and do apologetics well point out is, particularly when you talk about Scripture, you know, don't, don't reduce the sacred word to a proof text, to a weapon that you use against somebody. This is this is the the, the sacred scriptures, the holy word of God, and it, and it's God speaking to us. So we shouldn't sort of just use it like a, um, I don't know, uh, like an, <laughs> a, a gun chest that we pull out our favorite rifle or whatever the case may be. Right? Is that kind of another way of putting what it, you just said? I think certainly, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'd use such a violent metaphor. I know, I know. Um, no, yeah, I think that's exactly uh, it, dear listeners, is that to remember that Scripture is um, the words of your love, the words of your lover, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I, the, the, the classic place, of course, uh, that, that we often go to, and rightly so, uh, when we're talking about Scripture and, um, and, and the office of, of the Pope, the Bishop of Rome, is in, in the 16th chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel. Uh, so the, the context here is, is Jesus uh, is traveling to uh, an area to the sort of the, the northern extent of the Holy Land near Caesarea Philippi. Uh, Father, have you been... There, I've I've never been to the Holy Land at all. Have I don't recall if you have or not. I have never been there either. Okay, so apparently, and, and there are pictures of this, so you can verify this online. Um, and I've seen pictures, but Caesarea Philippi is is I think nearer to online or hear it online. It must it be. must be well. Pick, well, I guess you could Photoshop, but I no anyway. Um, there's this this it, it, it's a, 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 a city with pagan roots. Um, um, so it wasn't a, originally a Jewish city at all. Um, and Caesarea, was, you know, the Romans were occupying at the time of our Lord and so on. Uh, and there's this massive cliff, this massive rock expanse uh, in or, or, or near the city, um, at least as it was in the first century. And this is the place where Jesus goes, um, and, 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 and he's with his apostles. He's with, he's with his closest disciples. Actually, it just says with his disciples um, in verse 13 and following. And, and it starts with Jesus asking um, the, uh, his disciples, what are people saying about me? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? is? What, what's sort of the, the word of the, of the street, in a sense, on who I am? And so they tell him. It says, um, they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then it continues. He responds to them. Okay, so that's what people say. But who do you say that I am? And the you, if I recall correctly, in Greek is plural. So who do y'all say that I am? <laughs> And Jesus was from Texas, if you didn't know. Exactly. Or at least the Texans certainly think so. That's you. <laughs> Is, anyway, um, we have to... Never mind. Uh, so, who responds? Not all of them. But the, the the man who already has sort of sort of been been acting as as their their de facto leader, Simon, 
Simon um, the, the fisherman. Simon responds to Jesus, answers him, says, you are the Christ, the Messiah. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus answers him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you, and this is singular you again, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ, the Messiah. So, um, Father, you, you, you want to take a first crack at this? Anything you want to comment on? Or, or do you, uh, you want, to, want me to go ahead? You can go ahead, but since you're having so much fun with the Bible. But uh, I'll take a, a short first crack. All right. I think, um, first of all, uh, I think two things would strike out to me and that I'd love to hear you talk a bit about would be um, the whole aspect of, um, and to get in a little bit, this whole aspect of, of Peter and Rock, and the relationship with Peter and Rock, especially, especially because you kind of planted this for a nice, you talked about where they were outside Caesarea Philippi, this large rock formation outside that town. And so, you know, what we should make of, of that when we, when we hear the, uh, our Lord saying, you know, uh, you, are, you are Peter, you are Rock, and upon this rock I'll build my church. And uh, also then the significance of the changing of the name. And I also love to hear about this whole idea of the keys, the keys of the kingdom. Yeah, so, so each of those, this is, um, well, we'll just get into it and I'll, I'll elaborate as we go. There, there is, I mean, just those three things either, there's, there's so much going on in this passage that maybe an initial quick read uh, wouldn't, wouldn't, we wouldn't necessarily be clued into. But when you take account of where they were geographically, of of the scriptural background of what Jesus is saying, and 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 the the broadly Semitic but particularly Jewish understanding of the name, uh, there is a ton here. Um, as as it, Father, oftentimes uh, with scripture, that's that, that's oftentimes true. That there's so much more that when when we read it as 21st century Americans, there's often so much more going on underneath the surface that we're not necessarily aware of, right? Very much so, because we just don't always speak the language. It's kind of like you speaking with a teenager, dear listeners, unless you are a teenager. Then it might be you speaking with an adult. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's why, just generally, you know, certainly, as, as Father, you said earlier, um, the, the Scriptures is, is a love letter to us from our lover, from God himself, um, at the same time, and so we can always glean things, but if we really want to understand fully what's going on, that's where study is necessary. We, 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 we can't presume that our, the way that we initially read it is necessarily the, what, what was intended to be said. Is that, would you say that's fair? I think that's very fair. Okay. So with this passage in particular, um, um, yeah, so, so where they are, um, the rock and so on, and the significance of that. And again, the language is, is certainly relevant here. So Jesus says in verse 18, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So again, the, uh, sort of a dramatic setting in the sense that Jesus is talking to, the, to all of the disciples, and here speaking directly to, to Simon, uh, and his name up to this point has been Simon, um, and speaking to him against the backdrop of this massive uh, cliff uh, near Caesarea Philippi. So, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. 
Peter, uh, if, if we read the Greek for Matthew's gospel, it says, you are Petros. Again, his name's Simon. His name isn't, well, wasn't uh, Peter. But Jesus is saying, you are no longer Simon. You are Petros. You are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. So the Greek word Petros refers to rock. So the way that often, you know, uh, um, there was a, you know, Father, I don't know if you look sometimes at sort of those, uh, they're called translations, really to me, they're paraphrases of the Bible, where they really take um, liberties with what the text actually says, trying to communicate all the idioms in, in contemporary English. And, and I understand the intention, um, but it's, it, yeah, anyway, we could get into a whole philosophy of translation some other time. The, there, but I did like the, this one translation, this, translated this passage, you are rocky, and on this rock I will build my church, which really conveys what's going on here. Because the name Peter means rock. So Jesus is saying, you are rock, and on this rock, I will build my church. Uh, we, we don't realize that because we don't know that the Greek word for, for the Greek name Petros means rock. We don't know that the Greek word for Peter is Petros, etc. But that's what Jesus is saying here. And one of the cool things is the way that that, I mean, when he institutes that name change, it's changed throughout um, all of Scripture, and people refer to him as Peter, Simon Peter. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Even before, Matthew already uh, hints at this, because Matthew was already referring to him that way, but up until up until this moment in his life, he had always been called Simon, Simon the son of John, Simon Barjona. Um, and, and from this moment forward, he's called Peter or Simon Peter, at least by by our Lord and, and, and his disciples. Um, now, an important note here, it, it, it's like, so what I just said about language and so on is um, re- what's reflected in, in, in the Greek text. What's likely is that Jesus was speaking uh, with his disciples in Aramaic, uh, the, the, the form of Hebrew that first century Jews in the Holy Land actually spoke. Um, and and it, but even in that language, uh, or in that language, the, the, the word for rock is kephas. Uh, and that we word sounds familiar. It does, and we'll get to that in a little bit because in some other places in Scripture, uh, actually a couple places in Scripture, that's how uh, Simon is referred to as Cephas. You, do you want to? We want to go there now, Father. Or do you want to hold off on that? I mean, I'm fine either way. Whatever you want. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Okay. The next part of this, maybe to the idea of the keys. The keys, and, well, and real briefly, first, I actually, want to talk about the significance of the name change. Um, in changing the name, the name for the Jewish mentality, as I said earlier, the Semitic mentality, sort of the Middle Eastern people, when you say somebody's name, you're indicating deep familiarity with that person. And the name oftentimes tells us something about who they are. So in the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the first example that comes to mind is Abram, whose name was changed by God to Abraham. Um, I don't remember, Father, you might recall, I don't remember what Abram means, but Abraham means the father of nations or father of many peoples. So, so God changes Abram's name to, to convey the fact that, that his identity and his mission is, is being changed by God himself. And so Jesus does the same thing with Simon. He gives Simon a new name and therefore a new identity and therefore a new mission. He is to be, not just during his life, but by virtue of his ministry amongst his brothers and, the, and then those who follow him, he will be the rock of the church. 
the rock on which Jesus builds his church. Our Lord is always the, the sort of the fundamental foundation, but he builds his church on the rock of Peter and then Peter's successors. So the name change is very significant. It, it, it's not, you know, it's not done lightly, uh, basically. But so um, the significance of the keys, as Father just mentioned. So Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And, and again, understanding the scriptural context is so important here. And oftentimes a good study Bible might give a, a cross-reference or have a footnote reference to actually the Old Testament, um, the, the, particularly the book of Isaiah chapter 22, where we read about the, the, the king... Um, the Davidic king, D- David's successors um, in, in, uh, in Israel, but particularly the prime minister, uh, this office um, in, in Israel, basically sort of the, the, the right-hand man of the king, the, 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 the person who's responsible for governing the, the, the kingdom, not that the king was a pure figurehead. The king was often engaged in you know, things abroad and so on, but maybe in his absence or in his name, the prime minister was responsible for, for overseeing and administering the affairs of the kingdom. Um, and in Isaiah 22, there's reference to the, a prime minister who is basically going to be deposed and, and, and uh, replaced by a new one. So this is verse 20 and following. Isaiah 22, verse 20 and following. And that day, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe. This is him talking to Shebna, who had been the prime minister. I will clothe him with your robe and will bind your belt on him and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. So again, when you read the the passage from Matthew 16, and then you read Isaiah 22, those couple of verses there, the, the, the resonance is, is clear that Jesus is speaking with this in mind. So you've got the Davidic king, who Jesus is in his own, in the new covenant, and then you've got the prime minister to the Davidic king, who Peter becomes. And just as in the Old Testament, the, the, it was an office of prime minister, so too is it in the New Testament. Peter is the first, but he is not the last. And there's references there to the king, that the, the, or to the keys, rather, that, that the, the prime minister, this, this role, ministry within the kingdom of, of, of Israel, has to govern and to control and allow people in and out. Uh, there were literally keys. So too are there spiritual keys that Peter and his successors possess to govern the affairs of the kingdom in the name of the king. And again, it's not that the king is absent. There's not, you know, sometimes people, you know, well, well Jesus is here, he's present, he's alive. Amen, he certainly is. But just as in the Old Testament, David's, the successors of David, his, um, the, the, the Davidic king was there and was present and active, and yet there was a, a prime minister. So too in the new covenant, the king is present, he is active, and yet there is still this prime minister who helps to govern the affairs. And Father, one thing that really, stri- that really strikes me about this passage, um, in verse 21, 
He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Again, the Davidic king is the fatherly figure, and yet the prime minister is also referred to as uh, the father of the people of the kingdom. And what what what, what do we call what does the word pope mean? Papa. Papa. Dad. And so the fact that we call the bishop of Rome our holy father flows from the 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 biblical context going back all the way to the Old Testament. Okay. Oh. How's how's that for a systematic theologian ta- waxing on scripture, father? It was. It wasn't bad. It wasn't. Bad. <laughs> uh, three and a half out of five. Minutes. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> room to grow. <laughs> Anything else that you want to comment on in this passage? Uh, not in that passage. I think the only thing I would, would put up is just uh, a little note in there, that whole idea, that um, <clears throat> notion that it's an office um, for these two, because, again, one is being deposed from it and things like that, so it's a responsibility. And even though in the Old Testament passage, Isaiah 22, they're not living the office well, you know, and, and, and again, that notion we shouldn't really be surprised maybe when our New Testament uh, officials don't always live it well. Right, right. And yet they still hold the office. Right. And we see our Lord's own respect for the office as well with the seat of Moses, as he refers to it as, in regard to the Pharisees at other points in the Scriptures. Absolutely. So, so, And we'll come back to it here in just a couple of minutes, um, talking more about that. Father, um, a couple places in Scripture, do you have any, anyone that you want to go into in particular? Well, uh, regarding the papacy, I would love to go to uh, uh, Luke 22 for a little bit. Okay. Luke 22, and this is where, um, at uh, the Last Supper, in uh, predicting his passion, and also in predicting the denial of the uh, apostles, especially the denials of Peter, he says, you know, Simon, Simon, uh, I have prayed for you. Satan has demanded to sift you as wheat, uh, but I prayed for you that after you fall, you will strengthen your brethren. Yeah, and, and again, there's, uh, th- there's a lot going on that we don't necessarily pick up on English. It says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And here, the you is plural. So it's, Satan has demanded to have y'all that he might sift y'all like wheat. <laughs> But I have prayed for you, singular. I have prayed for you, Simon, Simon Peter, that, wh- that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brethren. So just the, the, the reality that Peter, and by extension his successors, are there, that yes, they will fail, but they won't fail utterly, and they are called to strengthen their brothers. Simon, his brother apostles, and, and the successors, their brother bishops. Go ahead, sorry. And like in our own Christian lives, our failures aren't necessarily a, um, a disqualification uh, for um, the, uh, uh, the life of faith, but rather uh, a proof in that sense of the need of the life of faith. Absolutely. Yeah, th- th- that's something that we need. Um, and one other place, just Father, we got a, a few minutes left, so I want to point to one more scripture verse and then talk about some other things. Uh, well, in particular, one that you wanted to address. Um, this whole issue of, again, the name uh, change in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 42. The context here is, is Andrew, God bless Andrew, and John. Forever. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the Apostle John um, have met Jesus, and they spend some time with him, and then Andrew goes to find his brother Simon. 
And, and this is verse 41. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And then verse 42, he brought him, so Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So right there, we see the Aramaic connection. That, that even though uh, in Greek it's Peter, Jesus probably referred to Simon as, in fact, Cephas in, in the Aramaic language in which they would have spoke. Anything, anything else, Father, that, about that verse or anything in Scripture that you would like to comment on? No, I don't think so. I think as far as our, our scriptural presentation of uh, these things to consider... Yeah, and so just real quickly, uh, dear listeners, if, if you look at the early church and what the early church fathers wrote about the Bishop of Rome, um, who they all believed was that, that Peter had helped establish the church in Rome, he was the first leader of the Christians in Rome, Paul had an important role to play as well, uh, but, but that, 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 that Peter was the, the, the first leader of the Christians in Rome. Um, and, and that he was, in a sense, the, the founder of the church in Rome, and that all of the following bishops of Rome looked to Peter as, as the spiritual ancestor, so to speak. They are all his successors. And others in the church regarded uh, the bishop of Rome in that way as well, as the successor of Peter. Uh, before the end of the first century, Clement, the second successor, or third successor, I can't recall which, of Peter, Third. Third successor of Peter. Um, Clement, sorry, go ahead. Uh, isn't it Linus, Clement, Linus, Cletus, and then Clement? That, that, Linus, Cletus, yeah, that sounds right. So the third successor of Peter, Clement writes a letter to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth, as we know, was established by Paul. And yet the bishop of Rome, the successor of Peter, writes to Paul, or to Paul's church, uh, the, the, the Corinthians, and... and, and sort of um, involves himself in their affairs. And we never, Father, we never see anybody saying, hey, who the heck are you? But uh, this is this is the church founded by Paul, not by Peter. Yeah. <laughs> in Corinth, we take care of our own. Exactly. No, they don't, because they recognize that the Bishop of Rome has special authority and jurisdiction. And there are other places as well. Uh, Ignatius of Antioch, certainly St. Irenaeus of Leon, um, but so you can you can look at passages. There are all sorts of resources online. But there is a point, Father, that, that I wanted uh, that you wanted to speak to that I wanted to give you, give you a, a couple of minutes to talk about. So go to it. Well, I think it would be you know. I, so we asked again, why do we have a pope? And we answered because Jesus tells us so. And uh, and Dr. Bergwald did a fantastic job. You almost think he actually reads the Bible. <laughs> um, the way he talks, I'm kidding. He does read the Bible. Um, but, uh, which is good, but maybe just another little thing of why we have a Pope. And um, so why even did Jesus give us a Pope? Okay, I understand you're saying Jesus gave us a Pope. Well, why? Why, why did he give us one? Isn't Jesus enough? Right? Um, and I think maybe some people in their good questioning, Catholics or otherwise, you know, wonder, well, yeah, why do we need this kind of other figure in here? We have Jesus. But I think to understand then that the, the the why of the Pope is to be a source of unity, a source of unity. A few years ago, uh, I was uh, had uh, the wedding of a uh, Catholic woman and a uh, Lutheran man, but from a rather conservative Lutheran uh, synod or group. And at the reception, uh, the groom's dad came up to me and he said, you know what I like about you Catholics? That Pope thing. <laughs> he, just, he just keeps you guys all together. And I think he was maybe thinking about some of the uh, fractures in the Lutheran 
communion uh, that had been going on in, uh, well, at least recent times, especially on some areas of morals. And, uh, but just, uh, just like, yeah, is it, that's, I guess that's the point of the papacy, right, is to keep us together. And even go back maybe to that chapter from Luke, uh, that passage from Luke, you know, I pray that you will strengthen your brethren. So that strengthening, that uniting, uh, the office of the papacy allows us to have. Yeah, that, that there's a, a real uh, response of, of responsibility for unity in the Church, um, uh, an active ministry, right? Right, with a, with a real purpose in that way. And so, Father, that reminds me, you know, it's, uh, I, and I talked about this last week, you know, initially I was disappointed in Benedict <laughs> that he was going, that he was resigning his office. And yet, you know, it occurred to me there's a real, this is an important teaching moment, I think, for Catholics, um, because the Bishop of Rome, as, as you were just saying, has a real ministry, a ministry of unity, certainly a ministry with his own diocese, but a ministry of unity for the worldwide church to play. And, and, and therefore, he, he has to be capable, physically capable at the least, of exercising that ministry. And, and, it sounds like, and Father, I, I just heard, actually uh, read, I think yesterday, that it sounds like that the Holy Father might be blind or partially blind in one eye, deaf in one ear. Um, it really does sound, and, and very emaciated, um, very frail. Um, and and you, you need to be have a certain level of physical health and stamina to carry out the ministry. And you, as a, as a priest, I think you can speak to that in a particular way. Right. Well, and I have been thinking about this uh, to my parishioners and the homilies for Ash Wednesday and the beginning of Lent of just the the spiritual weight and the responsibilities that we have in uh, our Christian life. Yeah, that, 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 that's part of this as well. And, and you know, again, it's not that Benedict is running away from the responsibilities. He, he, he's spoken before, if you're able to do it, just because it's hard doesn't mean you shouldn't. But he did say, if you can't do it, you know, particularly physically, but even emotionally, psychologically, spiritually perhaps, then, then you need to consider or even maybe take the step of, of resigning as he has done. Um, and I think you know too, Father, that um, you, you talked about the, uh, the 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 comment of the Lutheran who you knew. I, I I've seen uh, Christ as I did in two thousand five when John Paul II passed away. Again, we're seeing today commentators from other Christian traditions expressing their their interest and some of them sorrow that this particular um, pope is 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 resigning his office because they have great esteem for him. They obviously do not recognize his authority um, over them in their spiritual life, but they still recognize that that, that he has an, uh, a, a, a man of prayer, a, 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 a true Christian, and that the Bishop of Rome is an important figure within the church, even if they don't uh, acknowledge the extent of his authority. It's a beautiful witness in that way. Absolutely. So with that, we will draw this episode of Ignition to a close. Once more, please feel free to contact me by email, cbergwald at sfcatholic.org if you have any questions. That's C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D dot org at sfcatholic.org. <laughs> and uh, from uh, Dr. Bergwald myself, Father Andrew, uh, dear listeners, Uh, Thank you very much, and may God bless you, and Mary watch over you and those you love.